This project was produced by Planet FM with support from New Zealand On Air. The series features 15 candid conversations with people from migrant and former refugee backgrounds, sharing their stories, their lived experience, their own perspectives, and covering some sensitive topics. I'm Alina from Storio, and you're listening to Pass the Mic. Due to the global pandemic, we've recorded these conversations from the comfort of our homes. This is episode 14. In this episode, I'm talking to Nina Santos, who is from the Philippines. I was reading about you just earlier this morning online and reading your like submission form for the podcast and just... So many things that I want to ask you about. Mind the gap stuff, Philippines are bringing, like just all of it. And I thought it, it would be cool to hear like what was your upbringing like and what shaped you? Like how, what was your life in Philippines like? And yeah, let's start there. In the Philippines, to be honest, I only have really good memories of the Philippines and that's all props to my parents. They, in a way, sheltered me from a lot of the hardship. But what they couldn't shelter me from was the realities of social injustices and corruption and just how hard it is to live there. And I know because my dad worked, like a lot of people in the Philippines, you probably have the highest like immigration rates in the world and remittance rates as well. Our economy heavily relies on remittances because for a lot of Filipinos, the greatest achievement you can do is to get out of there. And, that, and that's sad to say and sad to hear as well. But my dad um, worked as an OFW, so they're called OFWs, Overseas Filipino Workers, um, in Macau for several years. And I remember I always used to cry when he'd leave. The cost of living is no match to what people earn. And there is a minimum wage, but there are so many in what they refer to as informal employment. So people who aren't in, um, you know, people who aren't on contracts and who aren't employed properly for society they don't they earn way below the minimum wage so it's really hard to get by as much as i love the philippines the prospect of seeking greater horizons you know the grass is greener mindset has always been there because it's very you know it's very similar um in kazakhstan i think growing up i my mom always wanted us to leave so it was always like a given like it was a given it's not a common thing in kazakhstan because it's just so hard to leave people don't dream about it much like they just kind of figure out how to settle in but my mom has always been like we have to we have to leave for better prospects better opportunities less corruption i go first i study i find a job i help my rest of the family come here what was it like for you moving because your dad already worked overseas was it yeah was he already a little bit used to because he traveled and worked overseas and so I, I just wanted to touch on that. Absolutely. Like education is the key. And to be honest, there's you have to have a certain level of privilege to be able to move out. And I'm very lucky and I do acknowledge that. But in the Philippines, I kind of call it the pipeline. So because a lot of people already know they want to leave, they go into professions that they know would give them the edge. And the number one would be nursing. So that's why there's so many Filipino nurses, because that's the one that's in demand in Canada, in America, in Australia. Mom has 13 siblings, let's say half are girls, probably like five five out of six of them became nurses. Wow. Yeah. 
And your mom was a nurse as well? No, mom's not a nurse. She's probably the odd one out. Um, but yeah, they just knew that even though some of them don't even practice nursing now, but it was just the pathway, the migration pathway. With credit to my dad, he he bore a lot of the brunt of moving. So it, it was a family effort, but dad had to come here first um, eight years ago. So because his background was in hospital, he tried finding a job in hospital and it was a challenge at that time because you know when you when you're an immigrant you prepare yourself to start from scratch your qualifications don't exactly match like no matter how brilliant they are so he found a hotel the only hotel he found that accepted him was in Teana just like south south like an hour away from Queens no more than an hour away from Queenstown um and yeah he kind of became like an all-rounder you know barista sometimes front desk sometimes just like an all-around hotel hotel year um and after I think a year and a half, we mom, my brother and I secured a visa to come here, and thank God we did because the Im- immigration then was a lot more lenient compared to how it is now. I think a lot of people, uh, so well, not a lot, some Kiwis for sure because they have one of the most powerful pas- passports in the world. I think when they think of immigration, they think of booking a flight and then that's it, signing a paper at the airport and then poof. Your qualifications equate. You have like a poor work permit to to work immediately. You know, I re- I recently noticed. Obviously, we're doing this podcast, but also just in general, a lot of people that are migrants or at some sort of intersections of um you know marginalization, people end up just by the you know lived experiences to be in places where they want to advocate or their work is dedicated to advocating how was that for you because you know you've obviously like you're so young but you've done like you've worked for public say sectors and like in law and all this kind of places around advocacy and betterment how how did that happen like what was the i definitely look a lot look look up to my dad in that sense so he's always so he works as a union organizer but he's always been an activist i think mom met him at the protest and fun fact about me gabriella the name Nina Gabriela Santos is actually from a women's rights organization in the Philippines, so Gabriela Women's Group. Um, so I kind of always say that, you know, this passion and drive to want better outcomes for women and migrants and women of color is kind of ingrained in me. So right now, for example, a practical example would be Mind the Gap. So I'm actively campaigning for pay gap reporting and for fair pay and equal pay. But a few years ago, I had no time or headspace to worry about what pay gaps are. And that's a reality for a lot of migrants, you know, because the, the way the system is built is that, you know, you put your head down, do the work, try not to piss off your employer too much so they don't send you home and risk your whole family's visa. It's a really risky move for a lot, of, a lot of migrants. So I think the fact that I can now advocate for these things, it's not even, it's not, a lot of people think it's just bravery and like being gutsy. But there's a lot of privilege ingrained with that. And I w- always really want to acknowledge that. That thank God I now have the time and headspace to do these things. Parents were definitely focused on survival, getting the visa, securing the residency, no matter what jobs they had to take. Like mom worked at Tank Juice Bar, juice bar for a couple of years, despite you know owning a business in the Philippines. And dad you know, worked in a small hotel making coffees. No matter where it took, focus on survival. Me, I get to focus on self-actualization and pushing for better, advocating for others. So I do acknowledge my privilege. Yeah. When we talk about when we talk about identity, coming 
to a country like immigrating and then advocating and being advocate for like betterment of women's rights or migrant rights or just being vocal about the racism that happens and stuff. I have definitely seen, maybe not personally, haven't been, which has been lucky, not personally experienced that, but I've seen others experience the pushback from, well, if it's so bad here, why did you come here? Oh, recently, Diversity Works released research that revealed that there is a migrant pay gap. And it highly depends on what country you what you came from. Um, and, you know, as expected, if you come from, like, a brown country, you're less likely to get paid a fair wage or, you know, it's just the odds, odds are stacked against you. When, when things like that happen and migrants try to say, okay, this is wrong, we deserve better, the number one sentiment I see on comments is like, oh, but you'd still be getting more, you'd still be getting less if you're in the Philippines or you'd still be, you know, just be grateful. Um, There's a shortage of jobs, blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately, that's, I've kind of internalized a lot of that because, Sometimes when I'm given a job offer and I think I'm being lowballed, I just think to myself, oh, but you know, I try, I convert it into Philippine peso and I'm like, oh, you know, still a big amount. Like I'd never get this if I was in the Philippines. I'm still one of the lucky ones. But that's like when I question myself, I'm like, okay, you're in New Zealand now. That mindset is absolute BS. And you're comparing working conditions to close to slavery working conditions. I talk to my friends often about that, uh, friends who are immigrants. When we talk about diversity and equity and inclusion and different representation of cultures, there are a lot of things that I do not like about my culture. There are a lot of things that I don't agree with back home. I don't agree with corruption. I don't agree with the patriarchal narratives. Yet I still believe in value of diversity and inclusion and equity of my culture into mainstream cultures in New Zealand. And, And I find it odd or I have friends who find it odd to balance those two to say yes I think we should be more inclusive to migrants we should be more you know diverse yet I think my culture has a lot of problems no honestly I've never talked about this thing before and I'm so glad I am talking to you about it now it's, it's almost like that dilemma hey eh? like I'm like Filipino pride all the way proud to be Filipino we need more Filipino representation in these spaces but also like you there are a lot of things I'm trying to unlearn from my upbringing and my culture. And it, thanks to colonialism, our very long 300-year history of colonialism, there are some some values, <laughs> things we've normalized that I don't agree with. But yeah, that tension can kind of hold you back. Hey? Yes, yes. And I think that's what people may be like. I think it's not one or the other, right? Because you're, we're living in a world where you don't have to, if I'm saying I'm proud of my culture or I... I think I belong at a table. I can also call out my culture on being toxic in many ways. That's true. The duality. We need to integrate that more in these conversations. Yeah, I would love to hear about your current work. What wakes you up in the morning these days? What are you What are you up to? So honestly, sometimes, and up until very recently, looking at my LinkedIn and look at, looking at my CV, made me quite anxious and embarrassed because it looks, to a third person, I feel like, it just looks like I can't make up my mind. I'm doing a law degree, final year law and politics, but I've mostly worked in comms and digital jobs. Social media has kind of become my background per se. I've kind of accepted that I'm a generalist and I'm, I'm proud to be a generalist. I don't take a box and I'm now comfortable that I don't. Um, so my very recent gig is with Mind the Gap campaign. 
a bit of a backstory. Last year, I found myself into a legal job, which I, which I hated, and the culture didn't fit with me. And um, I thought it was my dream job. Like I, I've been eyeing it ever since I was in second year law school. And when I got there, the culture wasn't a good fit, and it kind of, it was an emblem for burnout. The burnout culture, the hustle culture, and then I was like, okay, you know what? For the first time since I was sixteen, I'm gonna be jobless and just focus on uni. And I was so scared because obviously I needed the money. I needed the money to help the family out. Um, three weeks later, I got a call from my now manager, really lovely, the really lovely Delwyn Stewart, the and CEO of YWCA. And she asked me, she's like, I may have an opportunity for you. And now I'm delivery manager for Mind the Gap. So the main thing we're pushing for is pay gap reporting. But the wider picture is a more equitable and fair New Zealand. There has been a lot of focus on gender pay gaps, like gaps between men and women. But I think it's important to, like, if it's not intersectional, it's absolutely useless. It's crap. So with Mind the Gap, we're pushing the ethnic lens. We're pushing the intersectional angle that there is there are ethnic pay gaps, right? And you need to address this. The gaps between a Pacifica woman and a Maori woman and a Pakeha woman are widening. The issues of ethnic communities or migration or discrimination and, or racism are so vast and huge. And I think sometimes it could be quite hard to grasp, like, Geez, there's just there's so there's so many things. How do we start? It's overwhelming. So for the mind the gap, like what is the you said you said it's pay gap reporting. What does that what does that mean? What does it look like? So with mind the gap, the uh, the premise is that pay gap reporting is mandatory in a lot of countries. Countries, places like the UK, Australia, Canada, they all the government mandates businesses to report their pay gaps. The simple act of measuring. And publicizing pay gaps has reduced the gaps to up to 20% or more. That's huge, right? Like 20% more in my pay packet would be the difference between groceries for the week. And in, but in New Zealand, such you know, a forward-looking country, one of the best reps in the world, it's not mandated for any business. So literally, businesses just sweep it under their rug or worse, they pretend it doesn't exist. You know, they give you the usual excuses like differences in experiences, not everyone is as good, blah, blah, blah. Women work work less, take more time off because of childcare. So with Mind the Gap, the goal really is to bridge the pay gaps for people who are who bear the brunt of it. And in, in that case, it's Pacifica, Pacifica women. I think the pay gap for Pacifica women is, 25%, Maori women, 19%. And this is compared to um, the average Pakeha male. There are many problems, but what I like about Mind the Gap is that we have one clear goal. And this pay gap reporting is a big, bigger, it's like a, a small piece of the wider um, equity issue. Is there, so is the idea that organizations, like is it specifically public or private or both, uh, measuring and reporting it reporting it to someone, like reporting it to government or just literally making it public on the website? So we're pushing for public reporting. Actually, we're launching New Zealand's first public pay gap registry on March 8th. Here's a shocking bit. So no public sector, no private companies are required to do it, but all public sector agencies are mandated to. So the government already does it. There are also some big businesses, big names, who have signed up to the registry. 
that are doing it anyway and are taking the leadership. It's once you know about this piece of data, it's not good practice to keep it a secret. So companies that say like Westpac, even though they were hesitant about publishing their gaps, they did anyway. And now, you know, they came up with a strategy to actually bridge the gaps and how to address them. Nowadays, you know, the with the great resignation and a lot more people realizing that they want to work for good companies. They don't want to work for a company that doesn't value women or thinks of women of color as lesser than, right? So reporting your pay gaps is good for businesses because it's a mark of trust for employers and the public alike. The culture of pay secrecy and the lack of transparency in workplaces is just, it's wild. The way we value women in work, the way the immigration system set up, you know, the bondage system for work visas that ties migrants to their workplaces really stops them from like challenging the system. So there are a lot of institutional challenges that need to be addressed as well as from the ground level to really address this this issue. So it's so complex and more work needs to be done. So it's affirmed that for me. The burden should not be on women, especially women of color, to ask about pay to ask organizations to report their pay gaps because just we bear the brunt of the pay gap, but the burden should actually be on those with the privilege to stand up and ask. Sometimes I am conscious, like one of, there are a lot of pay gap deniers, people, I know pay gap deniers personally, people who think this, the pay gap issue is absolutely, it's a myth. Um, and you know, it's just, you know, you should work hard enough or I work more than you, blah, blah, blah. So sometimes I feel insecure that like, because one person has asked me in particular, like, you talk about being like a face of the pay gap, a spokesperson for pay gaps, but are you experiencing the pay gap? Like, can you tell, can you actually like attest to the fact that you're paid less? Um, and I'm really lucky to have a job that um, supports me and my family. So sometimes I'm like, okay, should I be the spokesperson for this? Because um, I'm not poor and I don't want to romanticize poverty. I think that's a really important thing so i'm constantly learning to hold the spaces that i know i can speak on but also being gracious enough to know when to pass the mic and say you know you're in a better position to speak on this issue like i try i make a conscious effort while i can advocate for the pay gaps impact on modern pacifica i'm not maori pacifica so i can't i can't speak to that you know it's such a complicated gray space, but constantly being reflective on it and saying, okay, how can I learn? Or, okay, can I do this? Or what is the right place? That's a, yeah, a forever journey. <laughs> forever windy, wee journey. I know, forever journey. I, like one person very recently asked me, do you kind of feel insecure around Maori or Pacifica women sometimes? Because, you know, they, they have experienced so much like um, injustices and like, they're suffering at the hands of the government traces back to you know our history of colonial violence but sometimes when you advocate for migrant rights do you feel insecure because like technically you're new here is your aggravation is your feet are your feelings of being aggravated valid do you feel insecure sometimes at first i felt offended i was like sis all issues can exist at once like we don't have to choose and like absolutely i'm I do acknowledge that modern Pacifica bear the brunt of social inequities in New Zealand. And I'm not, the last thing I want to do is step on anyone's toes or kind of claim that for myself because I'm not an indigenous woman. I'm not a Pacifica woman. But that doesn't mean that I can't advocate 
for migrant causes as well and for better outcomes for us. Sometimes the system makes you feel like you were taken away from other issues. And I guess the message here is like all issues needs to be addressed. Someone will advocate on climate justice. Someone will advocate on you know, sustainability and growth or, or anti-growth in business world. Someone will advocate on migrants. Someone will, and we need all of us and all of it to make this better. There is no like, you know, a hierarchy. It's all interrelated. I really uh, can relate to that insecurity and be like, am I, should I even be, you know, speaking about this? Should I exist in this space? Yes. Oh my gosh. I've never talked about this with anyone before, but um, you're absolutely right. We can all advocate for issues that matter to us at the same time, as long as we're not stepping on anyone's toes and not holding spaces and grabbing mics that don't belong to us. I used to be the type of person who like hogs opportunities. Like as a young high school student, I'm like, okay, I want all these opportunities. Yes, yes, yes. Interviews set me up. But growing older, I'm so glad I've developed like the self-awareness to know um, which spaces and which issues I can speak on and which um and which ones I should pass the mic on if that makes sense yeah no one nor I can claim that I am the Filipino voice I am the Filipino representation I am the migrant voice because I'm not all migrants have a voice it's really up to everyone to amplify that and ensure there are enough safe spaces for us to be able to use that voice I love that thank you so much actually one of the quick fire questions might be relevant to that as well so okay we have four questions and it just you know whatever comes to your mind first well the first one is about food <laughs> what is your favorite maybe like think about Filipino specifically something that you just like always will be a fan of I really love chicken in a cell it's a chicken barbecue a form of chicken barbecue and it's usually served with like rice and chicken oil drizzled on the top fried garlic um i also really love classic filipino homebook dish d- dishes like sinigang adobo karekare menudo ah just um i'm an all-rounder i i used to be the child who had like who wasn't picky at all like i ate all the veggies i ate all the weird ingredients so i love filipino food do you have a restaurant or something to recommend for people to go to my house no, I'm just kidding. No, um, there are some good ones. Uh, I really like the food truck Hapunan. They're out in Huapai, quite a wee while away. And I also, um, I like Burakai Garden down at the Viaduct. I think they have really good CC. If you have a chance to try it, run, don't walk. Barahai Garden. Cool. Okay, okay. Awesome. If you could be a main character in the movie or a TV show, what would it be? Oh. Um, uh, okay, I'm gonna say Jessica Pearson suits because she's a boss ass woman. Honestly, I hate to say it, but suits and how to get how to get away with murder got me into law school. Yeah, oh, I love suits. I love suits so much. <laughs> now that I just say that, I'm like, maybe I should rewatch it. Um, if you could propose one policy to New Zealand Parliament or organizations, what would it be? The Equal Pay Act, which is turning fifty in October, is out of date. And it's not working. It takes into account the gender aspect, but says nothing about intersectionality, nothing about women of color, nothing about people of color, nothing about migrants. So it's not working. So government, this is a whole to you. Please review and amend the Equal Pay Act, or better yet, introduce new pay gap um, reporting legislation, pay transparency uh, legislation, because this is long overdue. 
and it's our women and our ethnic women who are bearing the brunt of it. If you're listening and um, you're able to speak about the gaps, question your seniors about it, talk to your family about it, normalize conversations about pay, this is, this is your chance to do so. I have a feeling, and my team has a feeling, that we're really close. Like, we haven't been this close in history to passing this piece of legislation. So constant pressure, my friends, constant pressure. And the last one, what makes you feel like a badass? Oh, gosh. Honestly, I think when my family tells me they're really proud of me and my boyfriend tells me they're really proud of me, that makes me feel like a badass. Like, I'm a recovering people placer, not proud of it. But um, the people who I'll never stop placing and trying to make proud is my family. So hearing mom says that she's proud of me and she wants to be me when she grows up, that makes me feel like a badass. Oh my God, Nina, that's that was um, so wonderful. And I'm just so grateful for our time together, especially just after you found out that you have COVID. I, yeah, yeah. I'm super grateful, Nina, for your time and for our conversation. I just had the best time this morning. I'm so glad we did it on my birthday as well. Yeah, thank you, Nina. I'm so happy. And like, honestly, speaking to someone who like, you know, just I couldn't stop snapping my fingers. I just feel sane and feel validated. And I really enjoyed our time. That was Nina. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, check out the 14 other incredible conversations in the series. Share, subscribe, send to someone who might benefit from either feeling seen or learning more about ethnic experiences in Aotearoa. These conversations are a collaboration of Belong Aotearoa, Planet FM, Storio, and Sport Waitakere. So you can find the links to those excellent organizations in the bio. Thank you to our funder, Auckland Council Regional Development Fund, and to New Zealand On Air. Yeah.